Hello and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I sit down with Casey Casperson to discuss the psychology of improv comedy. Casey has performed stand-up comedy, improv, live theater, and on screen since 1997. He's worked with Larry the Cable Guy, Pauly Shore, Mark Curry, as well as well-known improv guru David Rosowski. Casey also works with corporations and hosts coaching workshops applying improv skills to business. He is currently the owner of Sick Puppies Comedy, based in Boca Raton, Florida, which is where I had the pleasure of meeting him during my improv training. This episode is my first discussion with a non-researcher, and you might be thinking, why talk about improv comedy on a psychology podcast? Well, the reason is that, in my view, the lessons you learn in improv about how to produce a compelling scene are lessons in human behavior that can be applied in real life very, very easily. Lessons about how to communicate more effectively with others, how to be more empathetic, or how to work better in a team. In our discussion, we spent time talking about the principle of yes and, which is essentially the idea that you should always accept ideas and suggestions offered by your scene partner. We talk about how yes and can be sort of an attitude that you carry with you into the real world. We also spent time talking about the importance of being able to tune into your emotions and the introspection that comes along with taking improv courses. I really hope you enjoy it. All right, I am here with Casey Casperson. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Ryan. It's good to connect with you. It's been, it's been a little while. It's been, uh, it's been, I was trying to do the math. It's been probably three or four years um, since I was at Sick Puppies. Um, but I wanted to have you onto the show to uh, talk about improv. And the reason, like, I've been wanting to have you on a while because when, when I, I had the privilege of, of taking improv classes with you and the other Sick Puppies instructor when I was living in, in Boca Raton. And when I was training, I, re I, I got the suspicion that there's something a little bit more going on in this training process than just acting a fool for the entertainment of others. And, you know, acting a fool for the entertainment of others is great, but I, I felt there's something more going on uh, in the process. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about all of these, these overlap, this overlap between improv training and psychology. So let's start off uh, by, by just, you giving a, a description of what, what you consider improv. What, tell the listeners what improv is to you. Yeah, great, thanks. Uh, so improv, a lot of, so a lot of times when people hear improv, there's a bunch of different companies across the country called The Improv, and they do stand-up comedy. And those are comedians that do stand-up, scripted, written work that they bring up onto stage. They're, it's them by themselves doing a microphone, telling jokes. That's what people, a lot of times when they hear improv thing, it is. Other people think that improv is that, that show, whose line is it anyways? 
So really, you know, fun show. If you've ever watched it, uh, the audience gives suggestions. They do uh, things where they kind of use gimmicks to kind of play along and then they make everything up on the spot. So it's a lot closer to really what true improv is. But improv at the end of the day, at the core, is acting without a script. Okay. So I give you a script. You go out on the stage. You've memorized it. You have another actor out there with you and you two perform a scene. It could be dramatic. It could be funny. It could be whatever it happens to be. Improv, for whatever reason, when we put two actors out on the stage, we can give them literally no input, no direction. And the two of them, if they improvise properly, can have a really successful scene. And most of the time, it's a humorous scene, but you could do dramatic improv. It's just like who wants to come and watch people do a scene about like, I have cancer, you know, (laughs) (laughs) if you want to, you know, you could, you know what you're getting into when you rent the notebook, but there isn't, there isn't people that are like, man, I I really hope that I'm really depressed when I'm done at the, you know, the improv show. So improv is acting without a script. And when you come with that expectation, knowing that it's going to be funny, it kind of changes everything. Okay. Um, so one thing I actually enjoyed about my improv training is that despite the fact that, that you're learning how to produce a scene without a script, that there are, there are rules or principles that are applied that, that you learn through, through training that, and, and I, you know, I use the, the term rules in quotes, but there are principles that are imbued on the students to that that will lead to better scenes right so what what are some of what are some of the rules of improv yeah i think if you frame it as a as a best practice or as a guideline that's the most helpful way to take a look at at improv i think first we have to talk about the rule that if you've ever been around the improv world whatsoever or if you're just a human you've heard people use the term yes and the real guidance, the real lesson, and this is the thing that crosses over into the real world, is we love to deny things. So if we're having a conversation, if we are brainstorming, if we're collaborating with people, our idea is the best idea because it came from us. It, nobody else's idea can be better because my idea is the best idea, and I'm going to now let my ego hold on to it. And so in improv, if you do that, your scene fails. Because Ryan, again, if I approach you and I say, hey, those are some great headphones, and you say, I'm not wearing headphones, we're in for a long scene, right? But if you accept the fact that the reality I've bestowed upon you is the fact that headphones exist in this particular scene, and you accept the fact that my emotion of those is, or my preference of those is that I like them, and you can accept the fact that the tone of my voice is complimentary and not cynical or sarcastic, that the words out of my mouth are, hey, those are really nice headphones, is like a positive thing. But if you read those words on a piece of paper, you could read them cynically, hey, nice headphones, right? So there's a lot of things that you have to accept. So the word yes gets confusing, but if we say we have to accept the reality and we have to figure out how to react to that, And that's the crossover between what happens on stage and then what happens in your, your day to day 
here's the reality that I've been given. I'm going to accept that reality and then I'm going to figure out how to react. Yeah, I, uh, I find that terribly interesting, especially in, in sort of brainstorming contexts where um, I've been in lots of brainstorming contexts where you, you tend to, to hear a lot of, well, that's not going to work. I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work. Without, but without any sort of um, any sort of al- alternative, right? There's or, no or justification. There's no justification either. So it's it's not even a that's not going to work because it's just that that's that's not going to work. I don't like it. <laughs> right, right, uh, and and I right every every time I would have these, it was always well, you know, let's let's come up with something better. What's what's better, right? And that, right, that's one alternative. The other alternative is, is sort of really embracing that yes and and just building on top of original ideas and, and just trying to, to start from scratch and just keep going with that. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about how you see yes and applying in, in your everyday life? Where, where, what are some other contexts where you might see this principle uh, giving you a, a, a making your life a little bit better. I've got a a couple different directions that I can uh, take with this, Ryan. So I can talk about the professional side of, of how this directly applies. Like if you're a salesperson or if you're a manager, but I can also talk about how it deals with your personal relationships, your choice, choose your own adventure. Oh, I like this. Um, Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious as to how it applies to your personal life because um, I've, I've been, uh, in my psychology class, uh, when I have an on-campus section, there's a I do a big chunk on improv and how it um, how it I show a video of an improviser talking about how some of these rules can be applied in the real world, and um, I, I often find that students are reluctant to see the they don't necessarily see the how it can be applied. So let's talk about the the personal life. Uh, personal relationship type of application. Yeah, the the personal relationship thing is probably the biggest growth point for the majority of our students that go through our class, especially the people that are joining a class to look, they're, they're on a journey for something and they don't necessarily know what it is, but a lot of times people are just looking to do something social. Very rarely do people take our classes to become uh, actors or improvisers or anything like this, because we're, we're housed in Boca Raton, Florida, which is 45 minutes north of Miami. And Miami's not really a hub anymore for actors anyway. Most of them have moved to Atlanta. And so there's a lot of stories of people that have found love during or shortly after they've gone through our improv classes or have realized, wow, I'm in a really toxic situation and I'm not happy. And improv has provided me the tools to recognize that and get out. Because at the core of everything in improv, it's about emotion and it's about feeling. And it's about recognizing the feelings that you're feeling at the time that you're feeling them so that you can feel the feelings at the time that you're feeling them. I'll say it again. It's about feeling the feelings at the time you feel them so that you can feel the feelings at the time you feel them. We have multitudes of roadblocks and filters put up in front of us to protect ourselves 
from the unknown. And the unknown is the thing that scares the majority of people. I don't know what's going to happen if. So I don't know what's going to happen if I ask him out. I don't know what's going to happen if I ask her out. I don't know what's going to happen if I break up with her. I don't know what's going to happen if I say, I'm not in love with you anymore. So we begin to build these filters and barriers and we put them in place. So it's like, here's my initial thought. And instead of just giving that, we have an immediate secondary thought that's like that corporate-y, nice, vanilla, bland thing. So it's like, oh, I got some spice that's going to come out right now. But by the time it comes out, it's like, I agree with that sentiment. But it's like, right. what you really want to say is like, yes, yeah. yeah, that's what I was like. Right. And by the way, that's what people want to no, like that's the emotion people want to see. And the fear that we have is that we're going to say something offensive. We're going to say something that upsets somebody. Uh, we're going to say something that's hurtful or harmful that's going to damage our relationship, our career, whatever that is. And the example is this. So Ryan, um, say something that would be hurtful to anybody, but just direct it towards me, right? So I'm not asking you to say something hurtful to me or about me. But say something that would generally be hurtful to somebody, and I'll give you the response that most humans give. Uh, Casey, uh, you know, you can be pretty abrasive on, on many different occasions. I appreciate your feedback. Uh, I will take that to heart, and I will move ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me that. I cherish that. I honor that. All right? That's like the... the uh, do we cuss on this podcast? Sure. Yeah. That's the, that's bullshit, right? Like that's uh -huh. bullshit. Yeah. Give it, give it to me again. Uh, Casey, you can be pretty abrasive at times. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. I, I agree with that. That is a true statement to me. So I just agree with it. Say something like mean though, Ryan, you're not a mean guy. So this is I'm fun. Not. I know you're not. It's fun. <laughs> so say something uh, that would be mean to, to anybody, right? Keeping in mind that I am a father. Okay. okay. That's an easy one, right? Uh, you, you, okay. So uh, uh, listen, uh, Casey, you're, you're a terrible dad. What? Ow. That's hurtful. That goes miles further than the, 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 the typical response that we give. You're a terrible father, right? Give that to me again. You are a terrible father. Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, can you give me like some more insight on what that would be, please? Um, like what, it, what, what that might be or where this is coming from? Yeah. If, it, it feels like you're not especially that reaction, it feels like you're essentially not, you aren't emotionally accepting the emotional message that I was giving you in that case. I've hit it. I've buried the emotion yeah. and my defense yeah. mechanisms are beginning to kick in. Uh, there is of course the third option, which the second emotion is, Oh yeah, Ryan, well, you've got a stupid face, right? Or something along those lines. You attack mm -hmm. me, I attack you back. Right. But my initial, like if we can really dig into that initial feeling that we feel at the time that we feel it so we can feel it mm -hmm. is surprise, hurt, 
bewilderment, bewilderment, the feeling of loss, because those are super vulnerable feelings. And if I can put some words out there with it at that time, how are you, how are you going to be able to continue to attack me, Ryan, if I go, ow, right. And you re and it's not me playing small, right? right? Because predators will do that too. Predators will take in something like that. Be like, oh, Ryan, why would you do that to me? And you can see that. And then you can attack that the manipulative more. part. Yeah. The manipulative that, part. Yeah. But my God, if you come at me and I'm, but also if I'm a bad dad and I know I'm a bad dad and you come to me and go, you're a bad dad. And I'm like, I know I hate my kids. Like <laughs> that's oh, going to well. be, that's going to be real hard for you to continue to attack me there yep. too. Yeah. So in our relationships, if you just feel if, and it, it takes a ton of practice, right? I mean, I'm constantly in practice of it as well, but like when my kids come home and they're like screaming their heads off as a parent over and over and over, you get trained to when you hear the screaming, your first, like the first thing that you want to say is shut up, be quiet. Right. right. But if they come into the house, like screaming and they're coming at you and you just let them like scream and you just realize that it's like, what are we screaming? about? <laughs> you know? And they're like, I just aced my math test. Uh, I pet a puppy. Like kids can't handle their emotions very well. Yep. Or another way to phrase it is kids do feel the feelings at the time that they feel them. There's nobody better at it than a kid. Right. 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 And then you get to go, Hey, I'm going to, we're celebrating. Or if they're screaming and I can see that what they're screaming about is about something that is really minuscule and doesn't mean anything. Tell me more. What's so going on? We're kind of circling basically this topic of emotional intelligence right how yeah. do you how do you properly uh feel the the things that you are feeling in that moment um and you know there are lots of poor coping mechanisms that, that we touched on that, that a lot of people use when confronted with emotional material or emotional messages um what uh, one of the things i i, I like about my improv training is that it's not, you're not reading about emotions. You're not reading about, uh, about, uh, you know, emotional intelligence or stuff like that. You're literally practicing, you're, you're doing something. Uh, could you talk about what the learning process, like how the learning of improv builds up your emotional intelligence? That's a, I think that's a great question. I think it, that's at the, the core of being in a class and, you know, we're doing them virtually right now, but uh, in a live class, you get to be the problem in the world that you want to see without any kind of ramification or consequence, which means you you get to play a character. And a lot of times people hear that and they're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't do impressions. I don't play other people. I'm not an actor. You just get to play a version of yourself that you don't get to see that often. So if you want to investigate what it looks like to be a mean person, Ryan, our, our theater is that place for you. So you get to show up and you get to come in and you get to, uh, 
and by the way, it's always in a protected atmosphere. So the, the goal isn't for Ryan to come into my place and just start throwing out racial slurs because <laughs> right. he's never he's never done it before. But boy, wouldn't it be fun to figure out what that feels like? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it's not that. Um, but well, it's, and I re I remember it being uh, that. I, I tended to focus on on one of those. Um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I'm not. I don't. I I've very rarely get angry, and I, and that's one of my memories from training is that uh, I would kind of test out angry, and others from feedback would be like, eh, "You got to go bigger. You got to go bigger." Yeah. And I realized that I didn't. I didn't really have a good grasp on anger. It just wasn't in my wheelhouse. That's yeah. Because if, so first of all, if you remember the emotional recall class that we did uh, in a more advanced class, I have you recall a big emotional moment of your life. I have you hold on to what the physicality feels like that goes with that emotion. And then I have you reapply that to a different context. Typically something that, that doesn't mean anything. And it was, it was me or the, or the instructor playing in the scene with you to keep it safe. Because a lot of times people would, would generate really big hurtful moments in their life. And so, or like these huge, like I remember John Duffy when he did his class, it was about the moment that he met his adopted son for the first time. Like they handed him to him and, and he broke down and he cried and it was like this huge moment. And then I repurposed the scene and I said, hold on to that emotion, hold on to all that feeling. And then I came in as a pizza delivery guy delivering his pizza on time. <laughs> and he had to accept the pizza with that same level of emotional like bandwidth as though you've just met your adopted son for the first right. time. And of right. course, all comedy is, is uh, when you care so much about something that means so little that's comedy, right? That's comedy. Um, it's or, Ace uh, the opposite of that is the right. You care so little about something that should be incredibly important. I love, I love that juxtaposition. It's it's so fun, and it's it's you have an argument about who the last piece of bread to make a sandwich, and it's like ending a marriage while Armageddon is happening outside, and there's an asteroid that's about to destroy Earth. Yeah. So it's 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 that it's that meta piece of it um like one of my favorite scenes was um we called it welcome to cancer and this person was coming to get acting lessons to convince his dad that he has cancer oh, and because he has cancer and his dad knows he has cancer but his dad keeps saying like yeah but i don't you don't look sick like you aren't acting sick to me and so he was getting <laughs> acting lessons on how to act sick yeah. <laughs> right so is this like caring very little about the fact that this person has two weeks to live the whole nine yards but it's just like and the acting instructor is just whipping them like a rented mule like sicker sicker <laughs> you know and it's like and you go god how can you joke about something like that but you build it in the context and it goes back to the accepting the reality of what's happening in the scene and the audience goes yeah i get it i see what's going on here then they leave and they tell that story to somebody outside of what happened in the show. And everyone's like, wow, you're, you left at some bad things. That was uh, <laughs> cancer's cancer's not funny. And it's like, yeah, uh, it, everything's funny. Everything's funny. So um, how do we get here? 
what are we doing? <laughs> uh, I don't know where, where the end point is, um, but I, I did want uh, I, I did want to. Uh, you said a couple things that that uh, made me think of um, how uh, listening is also ex- extremely extremely important in improv. Um, I know that when I was uh, you know when I was training, um, I. I, I started to feel like th- there's a lot of overlap between the listening that you learn how to do in improv and the concept of mindfulness. Um, I had uh, one of my guests of a prior episode, we, we spent some time talking about mindfulness, which is the ability to be aware of what's going on in your head at any given moment, right? That describes es- essentially what you're, the muscle that you're working on when you're, when you're uh, practicing improv. Um, uh, could you talk about uh, talk about how improv m- forces you to listen? Why it's so important to listen when you're doing improv? Yeah, it's at the core of it. If I can't take in the details that you are providing me, either about my character, where we are, how we got here, what you want from me, I have no way to react to it, and so. Historically, what makes a poor improv scene, and I use the word historically because if you come to see one of my shows, you'll undoubtedly watch me decide to take the limelight, become a huge uh, character that does not listen to anybody else on stage and decides to uh, try to steal the show. Always fails, almost always fails. The almost is the thing that keeps me doing it. And, um, and that's the, that's the thing where my ego drives the scene and it's never good. Just remember a bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. (laughs) So, um, the, the, uh, the ability to listen and take in all those details, process those details, having a a feeling or an opinion about those emotions is the only thing that's going to keep your scene interesting. If you remember early on, it's never about the bicycle. It's never about the ice cream shop. Sure, the scene happens at an ice cream shop. Sure, the scene happens at a bar. Um, But uh, I think it's McNapier uh, in one of his books basically says, like, there's never been the the end of an improv scene ever. And you've walked and the audience has gone, man, did they they ever fix the bike? (laughs) Because ultimately that's your MacGuffin. That's the thing that brings the two people in together to talk about whatever it is. And the hardest thing that we do outside of the scene, as well as what we do inside of the scene is, is talk about the person that's in front of us and how we feel about that person. We always love to talk about other people and the, um, and if you're not really listening to the other person, you're coming into a conversation to unload your shit on somebody else, have an expected reaction from that other person, have an expected result from that person, and leave. You don't get that result from that person. You're not really interested in what they have to say. Yeah. You might as well have just recorded a voicemail that they could listen to. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. The It was a... It, I mean, I would go so far as to say it was an uncomfortable realization that that when I when I was trying to produce an improvised scene and I realized I have to listen, I have to listen, I have to listen to what the other person is saying. 
And if I, and I would constantly get caught up in my head with like, wouldn't it be funny if, wouldn't it be funny oh, if, yeah. and, and when I left, you know, after, after taking a few classes and, and this happening a few times, when I left and I started talking to my friends or strangers, I realized that I do this all the time. I do this all the time. What, am, what do I have to say? What am I going to say to this person? What information do I have to give? And very rarely was it, let me, let me, let me ask a bunch of questions about this person. And I, I don't think, I honestly don't think I would have learned that lesson if it weren't for improv training. I think you're right. Cause I'm going to say something that's, that's, that's not good uh, for listeners that are over the age of 45 that have never been through an improv class. You suck at listening. <laughs> right. The older you get, the less you listen. And um, I, I'm almost in that age bracket. I'll be 42 this year. But this is something that I discovered about 10 years ago when I started to teach the classes. And then we launched the company about nine years ago is the older the participants were, the more difficult improv was for them, which means there's a level of flexibility that we clearly lose. And, and you can see it on the opposite end with kids. Kids are just wildly flexible, right? With most things, right? They do need some structure and they do need uh, some certain things that, that kind of like they need a sleep schedule. They need to know when mom and dad are going to be around. Like they need certain things from a security standpoint. But when it, when it comes to playing a game, I don't know how many times I've started to play the match game with my son. And he's like, we're going to do this all afternoon. And then three minutes in, he's like, dude, I got to play some Minecraft right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, um, but if you do something with, say uh, a parent or something like this, right? So my parents are in their seventies right now. And I'd say my parents are very flexible uh, for people their age, but dude, my dad sat in one of my improv classes uh, four or five years ago and he left and he's like, I did not care for that at all. Wow. We reframed it and I've made him the star of my show a couple of times, but it was allowing him to just monologue based off of life experiences and he didn't have to improvise or interact with anybody. So my dad would be a great stand-up if he decided to, to do that because he doesn't have to collaborate with anyone. He doesn't have to listen. He doesn't have to react. And so I think one of the saddest things to see is people that get to be a certain age that stop learning, stop being able to change or being willing to be changed. And you just hope that when you get to be that age, you're a cool person. Because if not, you end up storming the Capitol because, right. because you've been fixated on the fact that there's just one place for me to get my information. And it's just so much easier to have that point of view. And then to be completely surprised when it's like, wait, I did something wrong. Like we right. watched it happen. We watched it happen in real time, no matter where you sit in the aisle. You literally watched people try to create a revolutionary war thinking that they, that like, that that was the way to go. And it was because low effort thinking allows people to feel safe, secure without any discomfort. 
just yeah. feed me, feed me what I need to know. Feed me what I need to hear. Tell me I'm great. Tell me I'm lovely. And I can stay away from everybody else that's, that's trying to provide any kind of criticism. And improv is the exact opposite of that. Hey, Ryan, did you know that you totally just steamrolled your scene partner? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. Yeah. So there were four different moments where your scene partner started to talk and you just kept talking. You literally just mansplained for an entire 10 minute scene. Mm -hmm. What? And you get a choice at that point. You can choose to accept that reality that an expert in the room, not to mention that everybody else that witnessed what just happened, right. Saw it and you can work on changing it. Or you can do what a lot of my students have done, leave that class and never come back and say that class was such a bunch of idiots because if you can't pick out the problem in the class, it's probably you. Yeah. And your defense mechanism kicks in, your ego kicks in and says, everyone's crazy. It's not me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, the, I think the immediate feedback from improv is responsible for that. So if you think about how you, how you carry beliefs through life and stuff like that, if they're not challenged, they'll just sit and stew. Um, and if, but if you, if you're improvising a scene, you'll know pretty well based on feedback that is super immediate, whether or not uh, you're, you're being accepting, whether or not, like you just said, whether you're steamrolling your partner uh, is, do you think the immediate feedback is what contributes to, to that, to that process? Yeah, I, th I think, I think you called out something that I've never thought of before is the immediate feedback is probably the most jarring thing to any human being if they've never been subjected to it before, because every other kind of feedback we get once we leave our parents' house. And even then, like there are a lot of, there are a lot of helicopter parents that will never tell their kids they did anything wrong or they'll shape it in that, that fancy, like, okay, uh, let's redirect, you know, but sometimes you just need like, Hey, you're being an idiot. Yeah. Like, dude, don't touch the stove. I'm going to slap you in the face before you touch the stove. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm never, I've never hit my kids. I know, the, <laughs> I know the psychology behind it. Uh, uh, it's the one thing in all of parenting. I know I'm sidetracking, sorry, but the uh -huh. one thing in parenting of all the books that you read of everything that you do, when they talk about the food, the diapers, the how to do this, how to do this, there's really not much consistency that's out there. There is one thing that's very consistent. If you hit or spank your kids, they are at a, significantly higher risk of being problematic later in their life. Sure. Yeah. That's the one thing there is. But there's that's no, why there, you take improv is so that you can hit pretend children in the scenes. You can kick the, the baby right. and you can, jump, you can, you can jump out the plane without a parachute. hundred percent. Those are the two examples that I always use. Kick the baby, <laughs> kick the baby, fight the nun, jump out of the plane without the parachute do those it's things. funny it's funny because it's wrong and could never happen <laughs> right yeah. but what would happen if and so we move into the whimsical world of the of another benefit of improv which is playfulness right 
something we just don't, we, we're just not allowed to do starting around the age of 15. Playfulness is just not, you know, we we're, we're right in the height of puberty. We now have to make ourselves look appealing to other people to, uh, I don't know why I'm 15. So I don't really know why it's so important for me to wonder what everybody thinks of me. Um, I think unfairly the female population feels this almost immediately on set from the moment they realize they're a girl. Mm-hmm. I think men, boys, I think start to go through this around the 13, 14 range where something, you know, the plumbing starts to wake up downstairs and you're like, Oh shit, I got to stop smelling like a garbage festival. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and and then society also says, shut up, be quiet, listen to your elders. Like yeah. they're older than you, therefore they're right. Mm-hmm. They're older than you, therefore you have to shut up. They're older than you, therefore you can't question them. And that's, that's a weird way for society to work. Like um, I almost hit a lady. In, uh, here's a funny story. Um, and maybe, maybe my neighbor will hear this podcast and hear me <laughs> call her out. But my wife went and dropped off the kids to school. She came back and then I left to to come to the office. (laughs) She comes home and she goes, Hey, uh, the mom is, uh, you know, the sun, the, the, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree driving back from school. Uh, I almost hit Sherry and her dog on the bike because she was riding her bike on the wrong side of the road. And then right after I almost hit her, I almost hit her son because he was also riding his bike on the wrong side of the road. I swear to God, Ryan, five minutes later, I'm leaving the house. I'm driving out and I almost hit that lady on her bike with the dog. She almost got hit by a car and died twice by people living within the same residence. So I can only imagine if those statistics, if that statistic is true, was she at risk with every single vehicle that was on the road this morning during the height of pickup and drop off of children and made no adjustments? said, I've almost died so many times in my life that the world will adjust around me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a woman that's probably approaching her fifties. I mean, she's probably mid forties and she's, she's made it. And that should give hope to anyone that has any semblance of intelligence that if she can make it this far, boy, I'd feel horrible if I came home and they're like, did you hear about Sherry? Uh, be more sad about the dog, but um, it's just, it's, it's like that, 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 uh, that lack of self-awareness. We were talking about playfulness somewhere, yeah. but I sidetracked. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, well, I think, I mean, uh, yeah, I think the, but we were talking about playfulness. The, I know that, um, that in my course, uh, a big, big, big component of my course is, uh, taking time to play and and play can be um, whatever you define it as, whether it's sports or uh, gaming. Um, I I, I like to think of play as active versus passive. You know, I, 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 many people disagree with me. I don't, I don't necessarily think watching a movie is should be considered play because it's too passive, but you want something to be more active. Um, But uh, I, on that, on that notion, I also, I always, always recommend in this section of my lecture um, to take improv courses because 
it is it is the quintessential adult form of play. You basically have a stage and you get to make up characters and stuff like that. And it's the key, of course, it being a very non-judgmental environment. Um, do you, uh, have you, do you, do you get a lot of, what's the type of feedback that you get from students in terms of their, uh, do, do they, do they say things like, you know, I love that I got an opportunity to play on stage. Is that, is that a common sentiment? I think the most common sentiment that I get is I didn't know that I was doing this thing or I didn't know that I wasn't doing this thing. Like, I think you shared that with me earlier in the, in the interview. Like I went through, I did this, I received feedback and then I went out into the real world and realized, Oh my God, I didn't know I was like this. And so improv really, puts a mirror up to you, which ultimately puts a mirror up to your relationships, your thought process, the way that you see things, especially if I'm not saying you have to do improv perfectly. I'm not saying you have to drink the Kool-Aid. A lot of times it feels like I'm, I'm running a cult, but you, the moment you begin to say, is that, is that, is that true? And you go investigate. I think you start to open up some doors for yourself that you didn't think were possible. And, um, uh, I've got, I've got a unique opportunity right now with a student that, um, her kids are off to college. She, um, you know, uh, recent, we'll call her an empty nester though. I, I don't, she isn't like the typical empty nester. She's, you know, very active, has her, has her own business. And, um, uh, she's just a really interesting, um, person. Uh, but she's, um, uh, she fits into that category of, of uh, an age group that typically doesn't do well when they come and take an improv class. And she started taking improv classes with us about a year ago. She had such a meaningful experience with it that she started to make some big changes in her life. And a year later, she is constantly recruiting all of her friends that are similar age, similar demographic and bringing them in. And it's funny in these classes where a lot of them are starting to have these aha moments but it's interesting to watch her reaction when she can see that her friends just aren't getting it. Yeah. And she's starting to now see that separation between her and the friends that aren't quite getting it because you have this group of people and it's a lot easier to do at an older age because you're typically set financially. You are set for your future. You're more secure. The more secure you are, the less likely you are to change. Yeah. Right. If I'm in my thirties and I have no money and I've got to figure out how to make a dime, I'm going to be open to a lot of ideas <laughs> to figure out how to fix my situation. Yeah. Uh, so you've got these folks that are empty nesters. They've a lot of times built their entire identity around their children. And this goes for, by the way, men and women alike. So they've had 18 years where they can put their whole identity into their kids their kids go away and their identity goes away. They don't have any individual hobbies. They don't have any, their hobby was their kids. Right. They don't have any other interest. They've kind of detached from all their friendships because all of their friends have also just gone through this experience and they come and find their way to an improv class. And I look at them and I go, did you hear anything that the other person said? And it's the first time in 18 years they've been questioned 
because they're the ones that have been telling the kids what to do, how to say it. And when a kid says something back, they are not obligated to listen to their child. Yeah. And it is jarring. Yeah. I, uh, 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 Adam Kroll on his podcast uh, always uh, talks about how interesting, uh, how interesting it is when you, uh, when you tell someone to fuck off, that's never been told to fuck <laughs> off that it, you can see it in their, in their face that, Oh, you've never been told you've never been challenged like this. Uh, and um, that that's always interesting. Cause I, I think um, this, this in improv, you, you, you feel some, you, you feel some things you feel, you feel challenged when, in a way that you, you've probably never felt before. And you and I have had some pretty heartfelt discussions um, out, outside of improv, not improv related, but just a, about other, about other topics. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some real benefit of being able to take a improv class and being in a position of saying, I'm going to stop. I'm going to listen to everything that this person is, is giving to me. Not only listen to the words that are coming out of their mouth, but listen for the intent. Cause the intent that lives behind it is your ability to have a fruitful and live discussion. Because if you are standing on a soapbox and delivering all of your information to me from a soapbox, it really doesn't matter to me if what you're saying to me is truthful, interesting, or helpful, because I'm out. I'm out. You're on that soapbox. I mean, you could literally stand on a soapbox and be like, two plus two is four, you ass. I'd be like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anything that you're saying is, is helpful, you know, but at the same time, uh, if you're like open and like honest and like, I just want your, I want your opinion on, you know, um, I just feel like math is off and I just like, think there's like different ways to add. And, um, uh, like, what are your opinions? Like I'd, I'd have that discussion with you. I would talk to you about that. It's probably going to end in me being like, I don't think you're very intelligent but this has been a fun conversation, <laughs> you, know, you know, where it's like, <laughs> right. because I want someone to ask me questions. I want someone yes. to listen and I want someone to be able to say back, Hey, I heard, I heard you say three plus one is four, but then I also heard you say two plus two is four. And I'm having a tough time of getting two ways into the same answer. You know, can you explain that? So it's like, Oh, they're listening to me. They want me to explain. If I have to explain that same thing again, I'll be like, this has been great. I need to go watch paint dry. But, um, but that's, that's like the, 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 the key component to this whole thing is the willingness to be open and to accept. And when somebody challenges you, what's really funny is when you just challenge someone in an improv class at a very small level, they almost always take it as a big fuck off. Yeah especially when you get like uh, the class clown that comes in, that's always been told that they're funny that starts cracking off jokes. Cause I think they're taking a stand up comedy class somehow mm -hmm. they crack off a joke, but the scene is ruined. By the way, it's that thing that I mentioned that I do often. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, and you, you go, Hey man, um, you just went ahead and threw a dick joke in the middle of this scene where you're dating somebody and the actor was offended, which meant that the character had a tough time doing anything real or honest 
because that I don't feel like you would do that in a scene. You haven't earned the right to build the context of the reality of being this character that's like this, because if we had spent five minutes of saying, uh, you know, if, if, if the, if you and someone else were in a scene and it was like a father daughter thing and it was like, honey, we're going to have this look, I just need you to, I just need you to be on this date with him. He's my boss. Uh, I know it's a weird situation. Uh, he can be abrasive. Um, he can be, uh, he can be a lot of things, honey. And then you have this really interesting scene where it's like, dad, I, I am nervous. This is such a weird thing that you're pawning me off. And it's almost like you're selling me into, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? You've just provided the greatest gift on earth to whoever gets to play that person. Cause now they get to come in and crack terrible jokes and be aggressive yeah. and be awful. Right. But you don't get to do that until it's been built for you. So there's that context that allows you to, to, to grow from there. I don't know if this is helping at all. Yeah. Um, this is really just feeling therapeutic and I'll send up, <laughs> I'll send you my PayPal and, and I'll, send, I'll, I'll definitely just, just charge me for charge me for the hour. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, uh, we are hitting, uh, we are at a good stopping point. Uh, so I, I would, uh, I would like to thank you uh, so much for being on. Um, I, I, I can't stress enough uh, how, um, how rewarding I felt uh, the, my improv training was and the, uh, the countless ways that, that, I still feel, I still notice its application uh, in, in my, in the real world and in my personal life. So uh, uh, thank you for, for that. And thank you for being on today. Uh, my pleasure, Ryan. For more on Casey, visit CaseyCasperson.com or SickPuppiesComedy.com. Also, head to Spotify or iTunes and check out The Doctor's Mess, an improvised podcast based on four inept doctors working together in a hospital. If you've never listened to an improvised podcast, I highly recommend it. Uh, it is a unique and interesting form of comedy that you might enjoy if you've never given it a try before. As for this podcast, please follow the Facebook page for updates and additional content. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And you can find us on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast. Also on Twitter at WDWDTPod. Lastly, feel free to email me any questions or comments at why do we do that podcast at gmail.com until next time this is dr ryan moyer hoping you found some answers to the question why do we do that mm -hmm.